minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen, here with you as always. Brendan, how you doing today? Fantastic. It's a lovely day outside. It is. Uh, the Orioles did not have a great day yesterday, but you know what? We did. At least it's still nice outside. We did have a nice day yesterday. We, you know what we did yesterday, Brendan? What's that? You know what we did. The I audience do. doesn't know what we did. Yeah. Uh, like the very stable 20-something-year-olds that we are. <laughs> Whoa, that's a bold in assumption the there. Of the, in the middle of the day, we went to a batting cage and a... We did. And a... Uh, a, a What do you call that thing? Uh, you driving range. There it is. Got yeah. some hacks in in the cage. Got some swings in on the range. Where do you think the better swings were had? Uh, for me, for the you better. Personally. For me personally, the better swings definitely came in the cage. Okay. Um, I think I was hitting most of them 350 dead center. Um, you know, I, I think it was a good outing for me. The driving range has never been my strong point, so yeah. it was not a particularly high bar to clear. If you had if to we're comparing the two, if you had to compare your baseball swing to yeah. a modern MLB superstar, let's see who leads the league in home runs. Otani leads the league in home runs right now, so I'd probably say if I were to compare my swing, isn't Otani a lefty? Yeah, but right. I, I'm just going based off of like pure power and statistics. I mean, I mean, just the look of it, right? Know? Yeah, same swing, same swing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw some, you know, some kind of. Miss hits there from if, if I'm being completely I, I honest. Think you were I was I was remembering driving incorrectly. I was driving the ball to you know left center. The exit velo was pretty high. If I'm yeah. being honest, it's probably like and, in the and, 20s for you there. And on the uh, on the yeah 20s kilometers per per hour. And on the uh, is that faster? That's or a thinker. slower. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and on the driving range, I was also hitting some bombs. You know, I accidentally hit all, a few. Were they all hooking right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll be the first to say it. But I was hitting some. I was hitting some bombs. I accidentally hit a few dingers on the driving range. I, by, I'm not yeah, very good at golf. accident, yeah. Once in a while, I will have a really nice drive, and I don't know how it happens, and I'll try to repeat it the next time, and I just can't. You just immediately flub it. Yes. The, yeah. That's correct. Drive for show, putt for dough. But the important thing is that you do drive for show, you know? I do. That's, that's what's important. Yeah. Uh, I am just, yeah, I, I usually start off my golf game very well. And I set the bar high for me if I'm playing with people I've never played with before. And I just know by like the third hole, it's all going to come crashing down. And yeah. the illusion that I've created uh, is going gonna, is gonna to blow up in my face. Yeah, I, I set my expectations very low you so to. that when I meet those low expectations, yeah. I'm not disappointed. I've just met expectations. Yeah. When I was younger, I used to get really frustrated because I would set the expectations way too mm. high. Then I realized that's not fun for anybody. I learned very quickly that I am not very good at golf and expecting to play well yes. is just a fool's errand. I think next time we go to the batting cages, though, I'm just going to be dropping down bunts. Just yeah, we got to work on the fundamentals. And honestly, if you get a 3-0 pitch in the batting cages, you better not swing. Oh. Better, if, if that ball comes right down the middle. I'm a big, well, that depends. Are we up 13 runs? Do I have the green light? Is there a position player on the mound? You can't have the green light. Even if literally the machine is giving you the green light, you can't, uh, it shouldn't be swinging. I don't know. I might give myself the green light. 
Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's get into the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't know what we were referencing, we were talking about uh, your mean Mercedes and the, the White Sox. Uh, let's talk about these Baltimore Orioles. Big trans, uh, transaction that occurred yesterday uh, before the game, and that was Rio Ruiz being designated for assignment. Now, we on our last podcast thought that he might have been optioned, and since our last podcast, another prediction that we made, which was Ramon Urias was going to be optioned, that occurred as well. Um, so, in the meantime, over the past week, Ramon Urias was optioned, and Rio Ruiz was designated for assignment. And he could have been optioned, but essentially the reason that they did that was they had to open up a spot on the 40-man roster so that they could fit Stevie Wilkerson in, whom they selected the contract of. So, if they had just optioned him, Stevie Wilkerson, who was not in the 40-man, would not have been able to call, get called up. However, it is a big move because they are designating him for assignment and exposing him to waivers. If he clears waivers, he could be outrighted to AAA, um, or he could be done in the Orioles organization. I think, Brendan, both of us were surprised with the kind of finality of Rio being designated for assignment and not being optioned. Yeah, on the last podcast, we talked about the possibility that he could be optioned to AAA. We talked about maybe Jemai Jones or Ryland Bannon being called up. Obviously, that wasn't the case as they call up Stevie Wilkerson. I think it is still a relatively safe move with Rio Ruiz designating him for assignment. I would be pretty surprised if he's claimed by another team. I would be too. I think really the only team that I can think of right now that might claim Rio Ruiz would be a team like the Pirates that has an injury to Key Brian Hayes at third base. Maybe they need just a solid defensive third baseman and can give him another chance. But I would be pretty surprised if Rio Ruiz doesn't remain in the Orioles organization. If he clears waivers, he'll go to AAA, like you said. I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. I just don't really see another team picking him up at this point. Well, the other thing is, if he does clear waivers, the Orioles also you know, have to want him. Essentially, right. they, they could just decide to cut ties with him uh, given the fact that you look at the major league roster, there's, there's not going to be a whole lot of room for him to return to the big league roster between, um, you know, Stevie Wilkerson now being at second, Pat Vileka also being there. Um, and then at the minor league side, you still have Richie Martin who can play second. You still, and third, well, Richie hasn't played third, but Rio can play third. You still have Rylan Bannon, obviously, and you still have Jemai Jones. So, would there even be a spot for him on the Norfolk roster? I, I think there would be a spot there, but it's, it's more of a question of is he even worth getting playing time at the AAA roster? Over, yeah, over those guys. Right, because what else do you really need to see from Rio Ruiz? I mean, is he going to impress you so much at the AAA level that you're going to say, let's give him another chance in the majors after giving him a ton of chances in the major yeah. leagues already? Yeah, you, you almost can't be fooled by any numbers that he puts up at the triple right. level because you already have seen what, unless, unless something happens, you know, we've seen guys make changes at get, uh, you know, sent back down and make changes. Think of obviously Cedric Mullins, but like we said on the last podcast, Cedric Mullins is the exception. He's not the rule. Right. Uh, he made changes when he got option to the alternate site and was able to come back up and, and be a much better version of himself. But the odds of Rio Ruiz being able to make a similar transition are slim. I agree, but you could make a case that maybe Stevie Wilkerson did that 
and he was able to go down to triple a and make some adjustments and maybe that's the reason that he is getting a chance at the major league level he was hitting very well he was hitting three three fifty seven in 12 games right but i think that might be just more the fact that they want to give him another shot because it's been so long since they've seen him i would agree yeah but did not play well in 2019 he hit 225 had an ops under 700 he did have 10 home runs 18 doubles in 117 games he was probably better in 2019 than Rio Ruiz was this year. And Stevie Wilkerson gives you a ton of defensive versatility. He, d- he gives you versatility. Yes, I will say that. That's working in his favor. But it's not like he plays any of those positions at a h- above average level. No. Where Rio Ruiz is not as versatile. He can play third. He can play second. But he is an above average defensive so far, he was an above-average defensive third baseman, and in limited sample size, he's been an above-average de- defensive second baseman. But well. more than likely, you're not calling up Stevie Wilkerson to be your everyday second baseman, no, no. I wouldn't think. You were calling Stevie Wilkerson up to be a utility man off the bench, and if you were just looking at pure utility, especially from a defensive side, he gives you more versatility than Rio Ruiz does. He Wilkerson can play every single outfield position. He can play second base. He can play third base. He has played shortstop a little bit in 2018 I doubt we'll see him there and he also pitched in six games so Stevie Wilkerson off the bench six games yeah which is (laughs) which is hilarious yeah um but Stevie Wilkerson gives you more versatility than Rio Ruiz does and I think that's probably the reason for this move well he was also poised to make the 2020 opening day roster the expanded you know, huge opening day roster in 2020. And he was playing in an exhibition game in DC. And then he, uh, as he is wont to do, laid all out for a catch and yeah. ended up uh, getting injured. And I think he broke his ring finger. So that set him back, obviously. 60 game season, there was no time for him to come back. So he did not appear in a game uh, for the Orioles. Uh, in 2020. So I think that this is kind of making up for that in a way in saying they're giving him one more shot um, to try to, you know, prove it. However, it does feel from our perspective, and I'm sure some Orioles fans perspective, you see the move of Rio Ruiz being DFA'd. Obviously, you saw last week Ramon Urias and uh, being optioned and that move was the corresponding move to that was bringing Bruce Zimmerman back up. So that made sense. But you do feel a little bit left wanting in terms of the prospects because both of us thought that one of these moves, Urias or Ruiz, would preclude uh, bringing up either Jemai Jones and Ryland Bannon. Now, Jemai is not going to happen re- you know, soon. He has not played in a game in, I think, a week and a half now because he is on the injured list uh, down with AAA Norfolk. So even if they wanted to bring him up, they can't. But Rylan Bannon, we thought if if Ruiz is going down, Bannon would be the perfect fit. But we also seem to have forgotten that Stevie Wilkerson is still in the organization. Right. It does feel a little bit like a lateral move going from yeah. Rio Ruiz to Stevie Wilkerson. You are going with another player who has had multiple chances at the major league level to prove himself and has not done so. But I suppose with Stevie Wilkerson it's kind of maybe you're just going down a laundry list of guys saying, okay, we need to make sure that we don't have anything here. Not skipping any steps. Before we say, okay, they're done. Yeah. Right? So maybe with Stevie Wilkerson, you're saying, okay, let's give him one more chance at the major league level. We'll give him some games to prove himself. If he proves himself, maybe he is worth keeping as a utility guy. And if he doesn't, 
then maybe Ryland Bannon is next on the list. But with Ryland Bannon, you are going to give him a much longer shot at the majors than you would give somebody like Stevie Wilkerson or Rhea Ruiz to start the year. They will maybe have a few weeks, a few months to prove themselves. Ryland Bannon, you would have to assume, when he gets called up this year, hopefully sometime soon, will have the rest of the season, and then he will probably have next season as well to have a chance to say, okay, I can be the everyday second baseman, third baseman, whatever it is. Yeah, it's they're going through a certain order of operations. Right. They are going down that checklist. I, I think I agree with you there. And I think that we're going to see this in other spots. I think we could see it with Richie Martin. I think that Richie Martin will probably, at some point over the coming months, get another shot at the big league level. And uh, the Orioles are just going to kind of check that box, even though he's no longer considered a prospect. You know, he's no longer the Rule 5 guy. He's just another guy in the organization, but he's still on the younger side. Still, they want to give him another opportunity at shortstop. So I could see a similar thing playing out there as well. Just them making sure, all right, let's make sure we're not missing any guys here because we have the opportunity to take this thing slowly. Um, But Stevie Wilkerson similar to Rio Ruiz, similar to Ramon Urias, can be categorized somewhat as a stopgap. Yes. So I think that it is it is fair to at least um, just personally wish that we were seeing somebody who wasn't a stopgap and see a little bit more of a glimpse of the future. That is still coming. Ryland Bannon will eventually get called up when Jemai Jones gets healthy and playing again at the AAA level. He will get called up and we will see these guys, we both think, in 2021. But for now, they're just crossing their T's, dotting their I's, making sure that Stevie Wilkerson is not a piece of this future. Right. And again, Stevie Wilkerson more than likely is not going to be a fixture at the major league level for an extended period of time, but he is worthy of having on the roster to give him another chance because he was hitting so well in AAA. He had no PS close to one. And, you know, you want to make sure that there is nothing left there. We've got a question on Facebook, Paul, that I want to bring up. Uh, Bill asking, who goes when Santander comes off the IL? Which is an interesting question because it's it's a crowded outfield. And right now, I would probably say Ryan McKenna. Somebody uh, somebody else in the Facebook comments, uh, Garrett, said Valeka probably. I'm not sure if they've optioned Valeka because they don't have as much infield depth. Yeah. My guess would be Ryan McKenna. I would think so too because that's just a natural outfield for outfielder for outfielder switch. Right. And you look at this roster right now, after Urias and Ruiz are gone, the only options you have at second base are Valeka and Stevie Wilkerson. Right. Do you have any other second baseman? I don't think you have anybody who can fit in that that spot. So I think it's yeah. going to be a McKenna for Santander switch. I would agree. I think it's probably Ryan McKenna who gets some more run at AAA because his bat has not been great at the major league level. We weren't really expecting it to be fantastic, but he could definitely use some more work at the AAA yeah, level. Still young, still 23, right. 24. Um, water gun to your head. Have we seen the very last of Rio Ruiz in an Orioles uniform? I think we have. I would be very surprised if Rio Ruiz is given another chance at the major league level anytime soon. I think there's a possibility that he stays within the organization and plays at AAA. But even then, I don't know why you would be giving Rio Ruiz reps at AAA unless there is a drastic change at the plate. Or or an injury. Or an injury. So I think we probably have. If you can get Rio Ruiz down to the AAA level and fix some things offensively, He's great defensively at second base, so there's still kind of a glimmer of hope there.
but I just don't see Rio Ruiz sticking at the major league level and kind of gatekeeping uh, that spot from somebody like Ryland Bannon who could come up soon. Yeah. All right. I think we've exhausted that topic. We're going to talk now about players and position groups so far on the Baltimore Orioles that have been better than we expected and not as good as we expected through the first 41 games of the season. Um, There have been some surprising stories. I think there have been a lot of guys that we pretty much expected the the level of play that we've gotten. Yeah. So, like, I think Freddie Galvis, you know, despite his slow start, he's been pretty much exactly what we expected when the Orioles signed him. Um, you know, I think that we, Austin Hayes pretty much has been exactly down to an early injury, unfortunately coming back, but he's been, you know, solid, not quite a polished offensive player, but solid defensive player. Um, so we've gotten some performances that we have pretty much expected so far. However, let's start with one. You give me one, Brendan, that you think has overperformed so far your expectations. Well, probably the most obvious overperformer is Cedric Mullins. He went from somebody who we talked about in the offseason potentially being an everyday center fielder. I argued for him because of his defense, but it's been the offense that has been incredibly impressive for Cedric Mullins, hitting 313 on the year, an OPS close to 900, six home runs. A surprising amount of pop, just one behind Trey Mancini's team lead. And of course, he's mashing left-handed pitching after switching away from switch hitting. He's hitting 333 against lefties so far on the year. So I think Cedric Mullins is far and away the most overperforming Oriole at this point. Yeah, the runaway MVO through the first 41 games of the season. He has been a fixture at the top of that lineup. He's been absolutely terrific. Also, he, he's drawing much more. I, I looked at the stats the other day. I think he leads the team in walks, which is really surprising considering how often he makes contact and how often you see him up there swinging. Right. Uh, he has a very different approach than someone like a DJ Stewart who draws a lot of walks by just taking a lot of pitches. Mullins just waits for, you know, he if he sees a good pitch, he's going to swing. But right. he is still able to be patient enough to draw a lot of walks. This guy's been terrific. What else can we say about Cedric Mullins? Yeah, the approach at the plate is fantastic. He has a really short and compact swing where he's able to make good hard contact pretty consistently. You very rarely see Cedric Mullins swing and miss at a really bad ball. Yeah. So Cedric Mullins has been unbelievable at the plate. We knew he was going to be very good defensively in center field, and he has firmly cemented himself for at least the rest of the year as the Orioles' everyday center fielder. And I will say his power has definitely been the biggest shock of this entire thing. I mean, how many home runs does he have so far? Six home runs. Six home runs, which I did not... I did not imagine Cedric Mullins having six home runs in the first 41 games of a season ever, um, let alone this kind of early uh, in his career. All right. Uh, Somebody who has not performed quite up to expectations so far this season... Uh, another young guy, I'm going to go with Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, I think both of us were bullish on Ryan Mountcastle to, yes. uh, to start the, the year, at least in the, in the offseason. And we are still bullish on his overall long-term future with this organization and, and his ability to cash in on his potential. However, the numbers have not quite been there. Uh, he had a really rough night last night, struck out a few times, was just getting peppered with a lot of off-speed pitches that were below the zone, and he could not hold up on those. Uh, His plate discipline, I would say, has been the biggest issue for him so far. 
coming into last night, he was hitting just 218, three homers, uh, 45 strikeouts in 39 games. Yeah, his plate discipline has kind of reverted to where it was in the minor leagues. Yeah. That was kind of the reason that Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde were saying that they weren't calling Ryan Mountcastle up to begin with was because they wanted to get the plate discipline improved. And he comes up to the Orioles last year and the plate discipline looks great. And everyone was kind of like, well, why were you holding him down? What was going on? And this year, it kind of seems like he is back to that lack of plate discipline that was an issue in the minor leagues. And I think probably part of it is that he's not hitting the way that he expected to hit this season, the way that a lot of people expected him to hit this season. And it looks like he's pressing a little bit. I mean, Ryan Mountcastle has never seen a high fastball that he didn't want to hit. His eyes just light up. And that thing can be two feet above the zone. And Ryan Mountcastle, this season so far, is still swinging at it. And it it stinks because he... uh, You see why he goes after it? Because he's a very good high ball hitter. Right. Uh, He has hit a few balls out so far this season that have been, you know, right at the letters level. So he's got that strength and he's got the bat speed to get to those pitches, but he has to know when to lay off those pitches. Right. And the thing with Ryan Mountcastle for this year is that I don't know if he is really playing worse than he should be right right now because he is a good hitter. We know he's a good hitter, and we know he is going to be good throughout his career. He has not played in a lot of major league games, and we are probably part of the issue here, Paul, where we were coming into this season and saying that Ryan Mountcastle is going to be a fixture, either hitting somewhere through two through four. He's going to be hitting above 300. He's going to hit 30-plus home runs. Well, I don't know if we said that. I don't know, 30-plus, but 20-plus home runs maybe then. The expectations that we had for Ryan Mountcastle, given how many games that he had played at the major league level, were probably way too high. Yeah, and they, we're still seeing flashes. Yeah. I and mean, that's the good thing is, on the positive side, he has five multi-hit games in the month of May. So he has been very feast or famine over the last month or so, but he also has seven hitless games. So it's just, you know, consistency. Uh, and that's something that will come over time. Nights like last night have become a little all too common, um, but we expect him to turn things around at some point. He's not going to be hitting. We don't expect him to be hitting around the Mendoza line for much longer. He will turn things around. It may happen. We saw something similar to, you know, like this when, when Trey Mancini went through an awful slump a couple years ago when he was pressing, he was putting too much pressure on himself, and then second half, calmed down, figured things out, and was able to flick flip a switch and and turn things around yeah and he's still hitting over 300 against lefties he's just got to improve against right-handed pitching right now he's hitting 180 yeah so if he improves against righties the left-handed hitting stats are already there unless they if they just get rid of all the righties in baseball then he'll be fine well that's a perfect solution yeah (laughs) Yeah. uh all right speaking of trey mancini guy who is uh overperformed i think we could say our expectations is trey mancini Yeah, Trey Mancini probably living up to his own expectations, but far exceeding ours. And I don't think that that's, you know, something that we weren't not expecting this because of who he is as a person. We're just expecting him to have a natural drop-off when you have not played baseball in a year and you were undergoing chemotherapy treatments for stage three colon cancer. So he has been, he has been Trey Mancini. Yeah. He has been as... He was before, pretty much, despite that slow start to the season. Uh, yesterday, in his post-game press conference, he was talking about the mental side of the game and reading books about uh, tennis and reading books about staying mentally sharp. 
and it's you you see it. There's like this serenity from Trey Mancini over the past couple weeks that uh, he's starting to feel like himself. He's starting to feel calm. He's the veteran presence on this team. He's been darn good. Yeah, he's been darn good, and he's been consistently darn good. Obviously, he had the slow start to the season, but Trey Mancini has played in, I think, every game this season, right? He's played in all 41 games, which is unbelievable. That's the biggest surprise, I think, so far, because we expected Brandon Hyde to give him some days off. I was expecting him to play, like, I don't know, 32 of the first 41 games? Yeah. He's, he's, he's in shape. He's in game shape to play every ga- day, and which, he doesn't look tired every day. Yeah, which is, again, nothing against Trey Mancini. Right. But we were all just expecting him to ease back into things a little yeah. bit. And I know he's DHing a lot of games, and for, not like first base is the, you know, the most rigorous defensive position, but right. still... I, the fact that he his name has been in the lineup card, I think maybe a, one or two times that he hasn't been in the, the lineup and he's coming to pinch hit, like, that is incredible. That is a feat in and of itself. Yeah, and he leads the Orioles in home runs with seven, leads the Orioles in RBIs with 33. <laughs> yeah, he's he driving has and runs. pretty much all of the Orioles' RBIs. I think he still leads Major League Baseball in the percentage by one player of a team's RBIs. Mancini has 33 for the Orioles. The next highest is Michael Franco with 21. Yeah. And I know I know RBIs are kind of an old-fashioned stat, so to speak, but the guy drives in runs. Yeah. When he, he, I would like to, I, I should know this off the top of my head, what he's hitting with runners in scoring position because he is he's just driving in runs. Yeah, and he's close to the American League lead in RBIs. And to expect any of these counting stats from Trey Mancini, the home runs and the RBIs going into the season... I think he is far exceeding what we yes. thought he would be doing right now. Yeah, and uh, it's just good every now and again to look at what he's doing and say, or oh, we should be appreciating this because this is a, a pretty incredible story. Uh, all right, a player who has been not as good as your expectations, Brendan. Do you have another one? I do, and the next player that I have is somebody that I just mentioned, and that's Michael Franco. Okay. He is second on the team in RBIs with 21, and that is... Pretty much at this point, just kind of a product of where he's been hitting in the lineup because he has been fifth or sixth in most of the Orioles lineup. He was hitting fourth and third at some points earlier in the year when he was hitting better. Right now, his average is down to 204. He has just four home runs. His OPS is a little bit over 600. And outside of his three-hit game against the Yankees, before that, he was hitting 078 since April 28th with a 228 OPS. When Michael Franco was signed, we both said, well, he isn't great defensively at third base, but at least he's going to give you a good bat in the lineup. And for the last month or so, he has not been a good bat in the lineup. No, he has definitely struggled more than we expected. I will say this for Michael Franco. He, in the course of his career, has been a very hot and cold hitter. And also over the course of his career, strangely enough, May has been the worst month of his career. Huh. Uh... Over the course of his career, in the month of May, he is hitting just 208. He's got a 592 OPS. Every other month, his OPS has been over 680. That is weird. So I don't know what's going on with May. What? A, Maybe just sit him down and for that month. Yeah, it's not like it's the first month of the season where you're getting into the groove a yeah. little bit. It's just awkwardly the second month of the season. Well, I'm also wondering if this season in particular, we're seeing the delayed reaction to him not getting any spring training 
you know, he signed with like a month left uh, in spring, or not a month, a week before opening day, roughly. Uh, So, and he he started out the season fine, so it looked like he was not going to experience any dip. But over the the past month, we have seen him be uh, pretty poor offensively. So I'm wondering if, you know, this is the result of him not getting a, a true spring training. Yeah, and maybe if he stays true to those May really weird career stats, then maybe we'll see a turnaround in June. But Michael Franco, so far at least, has really not been worthy of being in the middle of that lineup so far. All right, somebody who's better than expected. Better than expected? John Means. Hey, hey, how about it? Uh, He threw a no-hitter. I don't know if you guys heard about that. That was pretty cool. So did uh, Spencer Turnbull last night. Yeah, well, John Means was cooler. So (laughs) John John Means Means struck out 12, and it was the first. Not only did he throw a no-hitter, he's got a 1-2-1 ERA in eight starts, which is pretty good. He leads the American League in both whip and ERA plus, and of course, hits per nine, which helps when you don't give up any hits in nine innings. Yep. He's got his career best in ERA, war, fielder, independent pitching, and all of his per nines except for walks, which is slightly higher than it was last year. We were both expecting John Means to be good. Neither of us were expecting John Means to be this good. Yeah, I think I I uh, probably jumped the gun earlier in the podcast when I said runaway MVO for Cedric Mullins. John Means is right there. Yeah. John Means might have the edge over Cedric Mullins, actually, at this point. It's a toss-up between the two. Good thing they don't make us vote after 41 games. Right. Well, I mean, John Means obviously pitching every five days. Cedric Mullins has been at the top of the lineup every day, so how much stake do you put in one or the other? Yeah. But regardless, John Means has been... Well done, stake. ...the ace of the Orioles. He has been one of the aces in all of Major League Baseball. We both said coming into the year that we thought Dean Kramer would have the team's best ERA. Uh, that is that is probably Very not going to be true. S- false, yeah. Yeah, at least so far. Uh, it has been John Means rotation, and everybody else is just there. Yeah. Um, speaking of Dean Kramer, though, I have him down as one of my not as good as expected. Yeah. Um, because he has not been as good as expected. But again, this is the Ryan Mountcastle effect, where I think both of us jumped the <laughs> gun a little totally bit. This is totally our fault. Yeah. yeah. This is entirely our fault. We we raised expectations a little bit too high, uh, jumped the gun a little bit. That and we did. And expected him to hit the ground running when he only had four starts in the 2020 season. Um, however, I will say this about uh, Dean Kramer, despite the fact that he is a 581 ERA and eight homers allowed. Uh, he has been good over the last three starts. He looks like he might be turning corner. 338 ERA over the last three starts against Seattle, Boston, New York. And you, you look at the first, what, 12 starts now or 11 starts of his career, and a bulk of them have been against the Yankees and Red Sox, two yeah. of the best lineups in baseball. Brandon, could you stop doing that? It's not his fault. Well, no, I know. <laughs> it is literally the schedule maker's fault. The right. fact that they played the Yankees and Red Sox like the last two weeks, uh, obviously last year, you know, they were pretty much only playing divisional opponents. And then this year, the first month and a half of the season, they played the Yankees like 80 times and the yeah. Red Sox 90 so it's been a little much. And against the Yankees and Red Sox, Dean Kramer has given up. Oh, this is going back to last year as well. He has a 668 ERA. And against literally every other team, he has a 338 ERA. So, which is very good. Maybe just 
you know, if the Orioles could move divisions, that AL Central looks ripe for an Orioles So your two solutions for Ryan Mountcastle and Dean Kramer are to get rid of every right-handed pitcher in the league. In the league. And have the Orioles move divisions. And I think it would be a, behoove them to make either of those moves. You know, yeah. bring it up with... Uh, with the commissioner's office. Yeah, that's good thinking there, Paul. Thanks. Uh, but for Dean Kramer, it's it's kind of similar to Ryan Mountcastle where you see the raw stuff and the raw talent and you just go, ooh, when you watch him play. Because yeah. you see Ryan Mountcastle hit and it's like, this guy should be your number three or number four hitter in the lineup. And you see Dean Kramer pitch and you watch his curveball and you go, he should be a number two, number three in a starting pitching rotation. The potential is all there. It just hasn't been put together yet. But I think with both Dean Kramer and Ryan Mountcastle, it's coming together. You can see the flashes. They have the occasional games where they look like that number three hitter in the lineup or that number yeah. two pitcher in the rotation. It's going to get there eventually. It's just taking a little while. And I think we probably jumped the gun on just how quickly those results would start to come together. I want to get a drop of you saying... Ooh, like you just did. Uh, I, yeah, it is just mid-May. It is just mid-May. Right. Both of these guys are still considered rookies, technically. So things will come together for both these guys. Obviously, they're not going to have, you know, Dean Kramer's not going to make the all-star game that I predicted he would, and Ryan Mountcastle's not going to be that either. Uh, but things will come together for both these guys. I really don't have much, um, too much worry about these guys long-term. Yeah, the key word is the so far yeah. Because Dean Kramer has underperformed slightly so far, but throughout the season, he is probably going to get that ERA down when he doesn't have to pitch against the Yankees and Red Sox every time in their rotation. Exactly. All right. Uh, a position group that I think has been better than expected so far, Brendan? You Baltimore Orioles bullpen. Yeah. Uh, this bullpen coming into last night was ranked sixth in all of baseball. Now, they struggled a little bit last night. Uh, Travis Lakins gave up some runs. His ERA, unfortunately, ballooned a little bit. Uh, and Tyler Wells came in and gave up some runs, though he did strike out a ton of guys. That, yeah. was, that was fun to see. Um, but this this Orioles bullpen, which we thought, honestly, was overperforming last year. We thought that this was going to be a bullpen that was going to come back down to earth a little bit. Has been... Very solid. A lot of the guys that we saw experience success last year, we uh, have seen them be good so far. Paul Fry has been excellent. Um, you know, Cesar Valdez, again, don't want to hear the slander. He's still been a, a very good uh, closer. So they are they're doing just fine. Yeah, it seemed like in 2020, pretty much every piece in the Orioles' bullpen decided to have a career year. Mm -hmm. And you and I were both thinking that there was really no way that that would continue in 2021. But it turns out that not only did they have career years in 2020, but it was a sign of things to come. Cesar Valdez has continued to fool hitters with his dead fish changeup. Paul Fry, like you mentioned, a 1-1-7 ERA in 17 games. He's got a career best ERA and a career best whip. There have been some additions that have been really good, like Adam Plutko. Tanner Scott has not been maybe as good as he was last year, but is still very good. And really the only piece in this Orioles bullpen that has not been as good as they were last year was Sean Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that is a worse than expected for Sean Armstrong. Yes. We'll get to him in a, in a second. But yeah, they, the, the bullpen 
it, it's interesting because for a rebuilding team, you want to see, obviously, the things that you look at the most are how are the young guys doing, and that's kind of the most important you know, stuff looking forward. Like, how is Dean Kramer doing? How is Ryan Mountcastle doing? How is Cedric Mullins doing? Pieces of the rebuild that are going to be here long-term. Those are the most important. But it is nice to have a bullpen that is overperforming because a lot of those guys are going to be your trade pieces. Right. A lot of those guys are going to turn into prospects. I have a feeling... Paul Fry will likely, unfortunately, you know, just just because we like the guys, the nice guys eats fries for us uh, in mass and all access segments. He's he's probably going to be dealt at some point because he's up there. He's close to thirty. Cesar Valdez is thirty six. He's not going to be with this team long term. So they could net you some prospects. Yes, and we will say thank you for your service, and we will take those good <laughs> prospects and continue to just bolster the farm system like Mike Elias wants to. But it has been really encouraging to have these bullpen pieces, especially when you kind of have a starting rotation. And to this point, you're hoping goes four or five innings, only gives up three or four runs and keeps you in games. Because the bullpen, up to this point, if you get to the bullpen with three or four runs, they're probably not giving up much more than that. And that keeps you in games. Yeah, we teased it. Sean Armstrong has been worse than expected. I think it's fair to say. ERA, not great. ERA is six, nine, uh, nine, six, nine excuse me, close to 10. We've been talking Ooh. about, feels like every podcast about, um, you know, if the clock is ticking on Sean Armstrong's time in the Orioles organization. Brendan, have I pushed you closer to the my side of things in terms of it's probably time that they move on? Yes and no. Okay. Yes, in the sense that his ERA is not good and because he is an older... <laughs> I am a little bit, but he is an older reliever and his ERA is not very good, so you're not going to keep her, him around for potential sake. I think the only reason you would replace him at this point is if you think there is a triple-A bullpen arm that is ready to replace him, somebody like maybe Isaac Matson. but I don't know if you would call up, say, Zach Lowther for Sean Armstrong at this point, unless you have a spot in the rotation for Lowther, and you are just fine with getting rid of a bullpen arm. Yeah, I don't know if there's a bullpen arm in the minors that you would rather have on the team at this point than Sean Armstrong. Maybe Isaac Matson would be the one that I would say, okay, call up Matson for Sean Armstrong. But outside of Matson, I don't know if I would call up a rotation arm. Yeah, they're they're it. it you could you could mess around with some stuff. Like you yeah. could move Bruce Zimmerman over to the bullpen full time if you wanted to, and that would open up a spot in the rotation. Right. You could do mess around with Jorge Lopez, maybe try to have him out of the bullpen. You could come up with a spot if somebody were knocking at the door. But I think I just think he is still the next guy on the block. Like a real that that is is ready to um, you know, be sent out of the organization in order to uh find a new spot for a new pitcher. I would agree. My only piece of hesitation is that I don't know if Brandon Hyde is going to want to get rid of a bullpen arm in favor of a rotation arm. Yeah. Because I we know that. that Brandon Hyde likes to have versatility in the bullpen. But if it's Isaac Matson and you know he's going to stay in the bullpen, in that case, I would pull the trigger. Yeah. Uh, any other better than or not as good as expected so far? Yeah, the only other not as good as expected that I had was Chance Sisko. Okay. We know the average wasn't going to be there for him at the plate, but he is the on-base percentage has always been good for Chance Cisco. He is 
always shown great plate discipline, kind of similar to DJ Stewart in a sense. He doesn't have as much power as Stewart does. But for Chance Cisco, you know the average isn't going to be there, but he is going to draw walks. He is going to get on base. His on-base percentage last year was 364. So even though he wasn't hitting particularly well, a guy who gets on base at a 364 clip, you'll take that. Right now, it's down to 255. So the batting average isn't there, and he's not drawing the walks. I'm not going to hammer on Chance Sisko for too much because we talked about him on the last podcast, but Chance Sisko is one that yeah. has been underperforming so far. Has he hit a home run yet? I don't think he I has. don't think so. I don't think so. If only we had these magical computers in front of us <laughs> that could yeah. look up any stat. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, we don't have to go too much back into it again because we, we talked about whether Austin Wins would be a suitable replacement or uh, Brett Cumberland, who's down at AAA, uh, would be a suitable replacement for um, Chance Sisko. So we will see if anything shakes out there. Um, but those are some of our better than, not as good as expected for the yeah. first uh, 41 games yeah. this season. And I think there are a lot of encouraging better thans because, you know, if Ryan Mountcastle was overperforming and playing up to expectations. Well, he's one of your top prospects and you were kind of hoping that Ryan Mountcastle would overperform. But the guys that have been overperforming so far, especially like Cedric Mullins and John Means, those are two pieces that you didn't really know exactly what you had. With John Means, you probably had a middle of the rotation guy. And with Cedric Mullins, you maybe had a fourth outfielder. And that has turned into your everyday center fielder and the ace of your rotation, hopefully for years to come. So those are two really important overperforming guys. And then the bullpen as well, that's really important to overperform because you can get more prospects at the deadline if these bullpen arms continue to overperform up into the trade deadline. Water gun to your head. How many Orioles players are all-stars in a few weeks? I think John Means. Yep. I think maybe Paul Fry. Maybe he yep. has been, it's, it's hard for a non-closer relief pitcher to make the all-star game, but right now his ERA is fantastic. His whip is fantastic. I think he has a chance. Maybe Cedric Mullins. So I was thinking about it. Mike Trout going down with injury. That opens up a spot in the outfield in the American League. Right, but how much do you value hits as a holistic Counting stat. He's still hitting. Is he, isn't he still hitting over 300? He is hitting 313 right now. He is having a great season. Yeah. There are just a lot of really good outfielders in the American League. But I mean, the, you've got. It's been thinned by injuries. It has. You've got Trout in the outfield. You've got Otani, who could make the All Star game as an outfielder because oh. he hasn't been pitching all that much. You've got yeah, Byron is, Buxton. How are they going to handle Otani this year? I don't know. That's going to be interesting. But you've also got Byron Buxton in center field in the American League. There's a lot of. Very tough competition. Isn't Buxton injured as well? Buxton is, but I think he's going to be back soon. And then even within the division, I mean, Judge and Stanton are both playing out of their minds in New York. Stanton's injured. Stanton is injured. There have been a ton of injuries, so maybe Cedric Mullins squeaks in that way. I'm telling you, I just think it's a possibility. I think John Means is pretty solidly an all-star. I think Cedric Mullins has a chance. I think Trey Mancini has an outside chance. So that's the thing. I think it would be a great story for baseball if Trey Mancini was an all-star this year. I don't think his numbers are there yet. Right. He's been, again, very good. He would have to get the batting average up pretty significantly. But it would be an awesome piece of news for baseball it to have him uh, head to the all-star game. Absolutely. And especially after 2019, when everybody thought he would be an all-star, John Means ends up getting the all-star nod. You know, kind of full circle with that. 
Yes. That'd be, that'd be awesome. It to would. see him. Uh, where is it this year? Oh, it's Colorado. Yes. Um, yeah. Anybody else that we're considering that we think might be an all-star? I think Paul Fry had a chance. Yeah. Um, but he's probably an outside chance. I can't, I mean, yeah. Freddie Galvis isn't going to make it. Plucko was good, but his ERA got hurt. Yeah, I, I think if you're looking at Orioles candidates, it's John Means, Cedric Mullins, a little bit of a gap, Trey Mancini, and Paul Fry. Yeah, but we've got time for that. I don't even know if the ballots are out for like fans yet. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. No. Uh, let us know who you think might be Orioles All-Stars. Let us know what you think of the podcast in general. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Be sure to follow Brendan. He's at Brendan Morty on Twitter. I am at Paul Mancano on Twitter. Uh, and give, of course, all our social media platforms a follow as well. We uh, we will be back next week at some point. Don't know quite know. <laughs> at <what>? some point. <laughs> at some point. But we will be back uh, to discuss all things Orioles. Uh, and uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Any final thoughts, Brendan? I don't know if I have any final thoughts, Paul. Like, we went through a lot of thoughts. I like putting you on the spot. I know. It's very stressful. He's Brandon Mortensen. I'm Paul Mancano. We'll see you later. <laughs>